0: Let's turn now to the Word of God in Daniel 4. I wish we had time to read the whole chapter, but instead we'll start at verse 24. Daniel 4, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O King, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Then they shall make thee to eat grass as an oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom? By the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, thy kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as an oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of man, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from man, and did eat grass as oxen, And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever." whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. That verse and the next are the sermon text. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Verses 34 and 35, my dear fellow believers, those verses speak of, the sovereignty of God. And that is the most important teaching of Holy Scripture. When we speak of the sovereignty of God, then we are simply saying that God is God. And there is no other truth that is greater than that simple truth, the truth, by the way, that even you children can understand. God is God. Nebuchadnezzar's confession of the sovereignty of God here in Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35, is one of the most remarkable confessions of God's sovereignty that you will find anywhere in the Word of God. All the more remarkable because it was made by a wicked and unbelieving man. We'll come back to that. But it's to that confession of God's sovereignty as Nebuchadnezzar made it after seven years of what was probably a form of insanity, it's to that confession that I call your attention this morning. We're going to look at what Nebuchadnezzar says about the sovereignty of God and see what a remarkable confession this is. But then we're going to look at the fact that in making this confession, Nebuchadnezzar is himself an illustration and example of God's sovereignty. And finally, we're going to look at the fact that in the sovereignty and good grace of God, Nebuchadnezzar made this confession not for himself, but for Daniel, for the children of Israel, and for you and me. So the three points of this morning's sermon theme is a confession of God's sovereignty. The three points are a remarkable confession, An illustrative confession and an important or instructive confession. You probably know the story that's told in the first part of Daniel 4. How Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride as king of Babylon, conqueror of the known world, how Nebuchadnezzar was brought low. First given a dream by God himself as a warning against his pride and then humbled by God in a way that few men have ever been humbled. He had The dream of a great tree that was cut down, only its stump and roots left. And as Daniel, in interpreting that dream, told Nebuchadnezzar, that tree was Nebuchadnezzar himself. Daniel pleaded with the king. That's verse 27, to break off his sins by righteousness and his iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If it may be, Daniel said, a lengthening of thy tranquility. But Nebuchadnezzar paid no attention to the dream or to Daniel and walking one day on the walls of Babylon, suffered what God had told him would happen. He became like a beast of the field. You can hardly imagine it, you know, that great king crawling around in the field like an animal, eating grass, His nails and hair uncut, wet and cold through the dews that God sent. When finally, after seven years, in fulfillment of the word of God, his understanding returned, then he made the confession that we have in these verses. And then too, as God had said, he was restored to his throne and became king of Babylon once again. And in fact, as he himself admits in verse 36, excellent majesty was added unto him. It's that confession that we're especially concerned about this morning. And I want you to notice what Nebuchadnezzar confesses about the sovereignty of God. There's little more that could be said about the sovereignty of God than what Nebuchadnezzar says. In fact, there's really only one thing missing. But we'll come to that too. Nebuchadnezzar confesses, first of all, that as great as his kingdom was, God's kingdom was greater. Not only in its extent, God was ruler. Nebuchadnezzar confesses of the inhabitants of the earth and the army of heaven far greater king than Nebuchadnezzar. But he confesses too, and he had learned that from another dream, the dream of that great image that was destroyed and ground to powder by a stone cut out without hands. He had learned then already that God's kingdom was forever. You know the history of the Book of Daniel, then you know that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom didn't even last very much, very long after this, but was conquered by the Medes and Persians when Belshazzar began his reign. So he confesses the eternal and everywhere present, sovereignty of God as King of kings and Lord of lords, and really acknowledges too, though that's not so explicit in Nebuchadnezzar's words, that God ruled even over Nebuchadnezzar. That's one thing. And that's part of any confession of God's sovereignty. That he is king of kings and lord of lords. As king of kings and lord of lords, Nebuchadnezzar says that in comparison to him, all creatures are nothing. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Who? That's what Nebuchadnezzar is really saying. Who is like God? Who can even begin to compare with the Almighty? But that those words of Nebuchadnezzar are amazing. When you apply them to Nebuchadnezzar himself, Nebuchadnezzar is saying that no one has any reputation in the sight of God. Nothing to boast of, nothing to be proud of, nothing. In the sight of God, that distinguishes him from others. No reputation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Nebuchadnezzar is saying in effect of himself, though I'm one of the greatest of kings that has ever ruled in this world, In the sight of God, my reputation is zero. And what he says, of course, is true of all the inhabitants of the earth. Biden, Putin, Chief Justice Roberts our senators and representatives, you and I. Before a sovereign God, and in the presence of that God, we too have a reputation. No matter what our place and calling in life may be, no matter our accomplishments, no matter what, we may think is a reason for pride and boasting, it is zero in the sight of God. There is, although Nebuchadnezzar doesn't say that, there is only one inhabitant of this world. And he came here from heaven who has any reputation in God's sight. And that's the only begotten Son of God come in our flesh. And if we have, it's not the main point of this sermon, but if you and I have any reputation in God's sight, it is only in Him. Only by being in him by faith. Apart from that, everything we have, everything we are, everything we say, everything we accomplish in life is zero. Nebuchadnezzar confessed that, and that's part an important part of his confession of God's sovereignty. He confesses too, that's the beginning of verse 35, that God does all things. Imagine that. This was Nebuchadnezzar who had conquered the world. Nebuchadnezzar had, who had made Babylon, the most beautiful of cities. Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens are still counted one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But Nebuchadnezzar admits that God does all things, God had given him the kingdom. God had given him his victories. God was behind all his accomplishments. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Remarkable, isn't it? And then too He acknowledges the fact that God is not only the one who brings all things to pass, we call that his providence. By whose power the little sparrow flies. According to his will, a single hair falls. According to his will, the planets hold their courses. By whose hand the sun rises and sets. By whose almighty power all things come to pass. But he acknowledges too that that was all in the councils of eternity planned and decreed by the Almighty. So that nothing happens by chance but all things according to His will, His sovereign determination. The a well-known writer, speaking of the sovereignty of God, has said, God's sovereignty means that He does as He pleases. And by the way, He does that in your life too. As He pleases, what He pleases, when He pleases. And nothing else ever happens. So that too is part of Nebuchadnezzar's confession. Speaks of the fact that God's sovereignty is all-mighty. Think of that the next time you use that word. There is no power but the power of God. Even the power of Satan is really when you come right down to it, God's power. Although Satan remains forever under the judgment of God for his wickedness as also do wicked men. But God's sovereignty is almighty and irresistible. And there already, Nebuchadnezzar is an illustration of God's sovereignty. God had told him what was going to happen through that dream and Daniel's interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar laughed it off. As wicked men always do. But it happened. Happened exactly as God had said. That's why when you read verse 32, it's just simply an echo of verse 25. All things came to pass, as God had said. And so Nebuchadnezzar admits, none could stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Nebuchadnezzar sums that all up by talking about the inhabitants of heaven as an army. And that's really true of all creatures. And that's a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty. That means that every single created thing is like a soldier who marches in God's army. doesn't make any difference whether they march willingly or unwillingly. Does it make any difference whether they march consciously or unconsciously? Those trees out there don't know that they're soldiers in God's army. But they're an army, every creature, sun, moon, and stars, bird and beast, animals and plants, men and angels and devils, saints And wicked man are all part of this vast army that marches in step in obedience to the will of God to do what he himself, has determined to do. And from that viewpoint, Nebuchadnezzar is no different than any other. Just another soldier, recruited, if you will, by the sovereignty of God, to march in that army in order that God's purpose and decrees may come to pass down to the smallest, detail An amazing confession indeed. And all the more amazing, that's what I meant when I was talking about Nebuchadnezzar as an illustration of God's sovereignty, all the more amazing because it's made by an unbelieving man. I can remember being told this story as a child and hearing Nebuchadnezzar's confession as a child and wondering whether Nebuchadnezzar had become a child of God when he made this confession. Maybe you've wondered that too. But I didn't know as a child that the Word of God answers those questions right here in the chapter. Look at verse 8. That's the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's long description of what happened to him. Look at what he says there. The first thing he says At the last, Daniel came in before me whose name was Belteshazzar. That was Daniel's name. According to the name of my God and in whom is the Spirit of Jehovah, of that sovereign God whom he Later in the chapter, confess? No. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods? Nebuchadnezzar's own gods. Never turned from his idolatry. Never listened to Daniel's plea. Even when he made this confession to break off his sins by righteousness and his iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Made this confession, but never believed in the God, the sovereign God, whom he confessed. And I say that's an illustration of the sovereignty of God. It is such, you understand, that's the point of this passage. That even the ungodly, unbelieving, disobedient, have, finally at least, to acknowledge it because God is sovereign, because he brings them to their knees and humbles them as Nebuchadnezzar did. And everyone, that's Philippians 2, everyone who does not believe will bow the knee to that sovereign God. If not now, then in that coming day of judgment, when God in Christ, coming as the judge of the living and the dead, reveals in the destruction of this present world, and through his judgments on mankind, that he indeed is God. So Nebuchadnezzar's confession, as a confession made by an ungodly man, is itself an illustration of God's sovereignty only the sovereignty of God could have produced this confession in his mouth. But that's where your confession of God's sovereignty and my confession of God's sovereignty are different from Nebuchadnezzar's. I said, At the beginning of the sermon, that there was one thing missing in Nebuchadnezzar's confession. And that's what you and I say when we hear of the sovereignty of God. This God, we say, don't we? Is that what you say when you're suffering and struggling? And acknowledge that sickness and trials march in his army. You say, don't you? This God is our God, and he will be our guide even unto death. You understand, and that's what's missing in Nebuchadnezzar's confession that when all things march in obedience to God, willingly or unwillingly, believing or unbelieving, consciously or unconsciously, march in step to do His will, that at the head of that great army, is one whose glory and majesty and honor Nebuchadnezzar could not dream of. You make your confession as Nebuchadnezzar did not. In Christ. Don't you? And with your eye on him, the one who leads this vast army and who leads it as the captain of your salvation. And that's the way this confession must be made. Or it becomes for our greater condemnation in the judgment day. Nebuchadnezzar made this confession under the sovereignty of God to be sure. Nothing but the sovereignty of God could have produced this confession. But he will be accountable in the day of judgment for speaking of God's sovereignty and not believing it. He will be accountable, as Daniel said to him, for not breaking off his sins in view of God's sovereignty, for not breaking off his iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Then we'll be sent away to the place of eternal punishment. So your confession and mine has to be different. All things we see that are part of that army of which Nebuchadnezzar speaks. Sickness. Cancer. COVID, march in obedience to God. And you say, don't you? When you realize that, you say, this God is our God and will be our guide even unto death. This disease, which is destroying my life, marches in obedience to my Savior. These trials are not only sent by God, but are sent by the God of heaven and earth, who, for Christ's sake, is my Father. And therefore, though I don't begin to understand why my way is so difficult, why what's happened in my life is necessary, I believe this and cling to this with all the strength of my faith, that it's the will of a sovereign God who is my Father. And who loves me beyond anything that I can possibly comprehend. And so I not only bow in humble submission to him, but I receive what he has sent me as a token of his loving kindness. And instead of complaining, exercise my soul in patience and in faith. That's the difference between your confession of God's sovereignty and Nebuchadnezzar's. If there isn't that difference, Then we don't belong here. But that's one illustration. Nebuchadnezzar is also an illustration of God's sovereignty. And that what he said, confessing God's sovereignty, he said, not for himself. But for Daniel, for the children of Israel, and for us. God sent Nebuchadnezzar come walking into this auditorium this morning to remind you of God's sovereignty. Actually, he didn't come through there, he comes through this. To remind you. And you need to be reminded, don't you, as I do, of the sovereignty of God in the changing circumstances of our lives in the trials God sends in all that's happening in the world around us. We need to be reminded of the fact that God rules in the kingdoms of men. And that army of heaven and among the inhabitants of this world, in our lives. This word was for Daniel himself. I don't think we can even begin to put ourselves in Daniel's place. Taken away from his home and family, from the temple, city of Jerusalem at a very young age, castrated, and though a prince of Judah made a servant of Nebuchadnezzar? Can you imagine what this meant to Daniel? This was the reason that Daniel could submit to Nebuchadnezzar serve him faithfully, even plead with the king to turn from his wicked ways because he understood that God does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, one of whom was named Daniel. Can you imagine what this meant to the children of Israel? Slaves in Babylon, their homes and fields destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, even their place of worship destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Living under the dominion of this wicked man, who had the power of life and death, who with a snap of his fingers could send them to death. And who was no friend of God's people? Nebuchadnezzar himself admits, though unwillingly and as an unbeliever, The same thing that Romans 9 says of Pharaoh. For this purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee. And you could add this, that I might show once again my power to my people for their comfort and peace in whatever is happening to them. Putin, Biden, the Supreme Court justices. Be thankful that, that, that Roe v. Wade was overturned. They marched in the army of God What they did that. But so did Henry Black Munn What he wrote. Roe versus Wade in the first place and it became the law of the land? Does it make any difference who they are, what they are? They march in obedience to God himself. As do all creatures in heaven, and on earth. Subject that's been of great concern in our churches is the whole subject of abuse. Abusers. March in the army of God, as do those who are abused. He doeth. According to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. God takes away a husband or a wife, a father or a mother. He doeth according to his will. But we always add, don't we? This God is our God, our Father. Who for Christ's sake and for the sake of Christ's shed blood. Loves us with an everlasting love. In the troubles that come to God's church. He do it According to his will. And we bow. When we're faced with marital problems, I don't say, I give up on this. I Become bitter and angry. But we say this husband or this wife is the husband or wife that God gave me. Out of all the inhabitants of the world, He selected this one for me. And instead of fighting with her or with him and being bitter against her, it's my solemn obligation before the God who does all things according to the pleasure of his will to be thankful and to receive him or her with all of their weaknesses as his gift. I'm ill, in pain, probably dying, but I won't murmur and complain about the fact that the pain never goes away and that I may soon have to leave family and friends behind. But I'll trust in Him who does all things according to the good pleasure of His own will, and who for Christ's sake is my God and my Father. Nebuchadnezzar speaks. Not to himself but to Daniel, to the children of Israel, and to you. And you and I must take these words to heart. And our confession then must be different from Nebuchadnezzar's in the fact that we make this confession loving the God of whom we speak, trusting in Him, and Serving him faithfully, marching in his army, not as Nebuchadnezzar did, but willingly, thankfully, until finally what he has determined and decreed is all brought to pass. And we do in faith and love. what Nebuchadnezzar did in unbelief. Praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. God grant it. Amen. Father, we thank Thee for what we have heard this morning. We take that great truth, that Thou art God alone to heart and live by it in all that happens to us and in the world around us, trusting and believing that in Christ Thou art the God of our salvation, our only Savior and Redeemer. Forgive us, Father, when... We look not at the things that are unseen, but at those things which we see. But we walk not by faith, but by sight. Forgive us all our sins. For Jesus' sake, amen.